Welcome to the You Hear Big Girls Attack on Titan podcast. I'm Mom Taku. Sadly, my friend and co-host Luna is taking the month off. So I've invited two regulars from the cast of the Titans podcast to help fill in this month. Playing the role of Luna is fellow Reiner fanatic Reiku Kaja, so I expect some Reiner love this month. Reiku is also responsible for far too many Zivai memes, for my taste, and is also the creator of the character Ranking Pulse, which we'll be talking about after our manga discussion. Reiku, welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. I've been following the podcast for a while. I'm really happy to be here, even if you may not appreciate all of the Zivai memes. They give me life, <laughs> so... <laughs> I'm happy to have you. We've also invited Puppet to join us. Puppet is a fandom typesetter and also in charge of the monthly chapter bingos, which are popular on Reddit and elsewhere. I met Puppet through the cast of the Titans Discord server, and he and I have had many very interesting conversations since then. Hi, big fan of the podcast. Really excited to be on. We have had a lot of interesting discussions, and I'm looking forward to the interesting discussions we'll have today as well. Yeah, basically, Puppet and I disagree fundamentally on most things in the story, but it's always it, it always enlightens me, so I appreciate that. Anyway, thank you for joining the podcast. Thanks for having me. Chapter 113 was entitled Savagery, and I think if ever a chapter lived up to that word, it was this one. Flock, Zeke, and Levi all displayed various forms of violence, brutality, inhumanity. Uh, it was not an easy chapter to look at. And we only published the chapter poll yesterday. It hasn't even been 24 hours, but so far we've had almost a thousand responses and it looks like chapter satisfaction is down. I think last month's chapter, uh, 77% of the fandom gave it a five rating. This month, that number is only 61%. So a significant decline, but still well-liked. Puppet Reiku, what did you guys think? Was this chapter what you expected? Well, for me, I actually, I remember I gave 112 a a five-star rating and I gave 113 a four-star rating. And that's just because 112 is probably my favorite chapter of all time. (laughs) But 113 was explosive and it really took me by surprise. I didn't expect to be as moved by it as I was. And I'm honestly just really excited to see where things are going. And I had the same ratings for the last two chapters as you. I had uh, 112 as five-star and this one I just barely gave a four. It was a really uh, action-heavy chapter, and I enjoyed that aspect a lot. My highlights from the chapter, though, were the little tidbits of the important information we got from Zeke, mostly. And uh, the chapter started off swinging with information by showing the effects of Zeke's scream and how it affected Pixis and the others. Yeah, that's the, the amount of information we got in this chapter is actually really nice, considering it was such an action-heavy chapter. Because, as you said, it, it did open with a lot of information about Zeke's scream, how it works, and we learned that there's... Uh, distance factor, but then it also closed with some big information as well, which we'll probably talk about later. Yeah, in the poll we asked, um, and and Reiku, I I guess I'll go ahead and um, welcome you officially to the chapter poll team. You joined us this month, and one of your questions that you suggested was, um, how did Pixis know about the wine? Because it definitely seemed that when that jolt went through him, that he immediately made that insinuation that it was Zeke's responsibility. Let's see, the poll, 42% said that he did not know about the wine, but suspected that Zeke was titanizing people. And uh, 25% said Pixis is just a smart dude. I think that was my pick on that particular question. Mine as well, yeah. I think for me, the only reason why I think that he was led on to the the wine in particular is because they were all led to believe that there was this uh, side effect when you have been given the Zeke juice, that you just kind of become catatonic and you can't function because that was the lie that he sold everybody that was discussed, you know, last chapter. So him knowing like, oh, they did it. 
And immediately jumping to that conclusion was what made me think that maybe someone tipped him off. My guess is he might not have known about the wine specifically, but just due to the way the electricity and all that happened to what they know about Zeke's scream, he put together that this is somehow Zeke related and that might be all he has at the moment. Yeah, I think his exact words were that he didn't feel the cup dropping and or not. Those were not his words, but that was the implication. So he absolutely lost control of his body for just a few moments. Uh, when you guys saw the leak panel of the teacup dropping, did you think it was Levi's too? I thought that was. Um, yeah. yeah, yep. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, a tease there on Isayama's part. A good one. So we also asked that since it's been confirmed now that Pixis Nile and, and many, many, many soldiers have consumed the tainted wine, do we think eventually in this story they'll become titans? What do you guys think? I think probably they will because we all know Isayama loves to kill fan favorite characters. And so if he has an opportunity where they're set up to turn to titans, I don't think he'll pass that up. I'm going to say no. And that might be wishful thinking. But I think that Pixis and Niall, we're supposed to sympathize with them, with them, but I don't think Isayama did that in a way that he wants us to suffer. Like I, I feel like, like with Petra, there was a lot leading up to Petra's death that kind of made us, it was built to tear at our heartstrings and to make us hurt. And it, it worked for me. Petra's death broke my heart. But I, I really don't get that vibe with Niall and Pixis, who we are supposed to love. But I'm also not, I don't feel like their demise is coming or their titanization is coming. That's a good point. Also, with Premier Zachary recently dying, it would be kind of odd to be changing the military lead so quickly. To me, it kind of seems like Pixis has been set up to be the leader of Paradise. He's kind of earned that spot throughout the story, and now I, I can see him leading it through the end. And, and there's also the fact that, you know, he was like, let's surrender to the Jaegerists. And, you know, he maybe did that because he was led on to this kind of plot, and he has been kind of tipped off that this is how he can avoid being titanized. I don't know. It's hard to say. I think, too, I mean, there may be an element of self-preservation there, but I think, too, at this point, Levi knows what Zeke is capable of, and Levi is going to do everything in his power to keep Zeke away from population areas. Anyone who might have drank that wine in the last four years is potentially a titan, and someone else he's going to have to kill. And so I would imagine he's going to do everything in his power to keep Pixis, Nile, and the entire MP away from the conflict. I hope he's successful with that. Me too. And that's partially because, you know, back in uh, Uprising, I think it was, Irvin was talking to Niall about how he also fancied Marie and how Marie ended up with Niall, you know, and I'm just like, I don't want Marie to lose Niall as well. Like, she got the better guy that, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, she got the family man, which is what she wanted, so. Irvin chose his duty over, over her and Niall didn't, so I want, I want them to be happy. <laughs> Yeah, Pixis and Niall have been two of my favorite side characters for a while now. Pixis especially, since he has a big role in the first arc. Uh, so I'm glad they're finally having a big role in the story again, and I hope that, that big role isn't just to die. Ouch, puppet. Yep, and also during Uprising, it's pointed out that Pixis's priorities aren't necessarily like power. He wants there to be safety for the people. He's, he's, not, he's not like Zachary, who was like, well, I'm just waiting for an opportunity. Pixis was a lot more cautious in Uprising. Yeah, I think Pixis throughout the manga has been painted as just a genuinely good guy. I mean, he's not been painted perfect. He's definitely somebody who um, has been hesitant to make decisions because he's his overwhelming concern isn't necessarily what's right for everyone. It's what's right 
for the people at the moment, which I think is very understandable for politically smart characters and also those who are just sick of bloodshed. So, you know, he's been presented as somebody who's reasonable and cautious. He reminds me of like um, General Grumman in Full Metal Alchemist, you know, somebody who definitely has their selfish side, but really wants the best for things and is hoping for a brighter future. And Niall too. I mean, people say what they will about him, but he's genuinely somebody who cares about people. So, and these are the kind of, if this manga is going to have anything other than a horrific ending, these are the kind of people that need to be leading the world uh, when whatever goes down, goes down. I think there are very clearly two types of people in this manga. There are people who put the greater cause above the people they care about. And there's people who put the people they care about in front of the greater cause. Mm -hmm. So somebody who definitely puts whatever his greater cause is ahead of the people uh, is going to be the first topic we're going to talk about. the The first example of savagery in this chapter, and that would be Zeke. And I would like to start by just getting everyone's brief thoughts about Zeke. What do you guys think about him? Reiko, what do you think? I'm actually, I'm pretty solidly in the middle with how much I like him. I'm very intrigued by him, though. And I don't make any apologies for the horrible things he's done. But I also hesitate to just say, oh, Zeke's a villain. He's a terrible person. I want him to die because I think that there's maybe a chance that all of his actions will end up being justified in the end and that we just don't have the perspective to see that yet. My thoughts are uh, very similar to Raikou, actually. So basically take what she said and then add on that I really enjoy his goofy Mimi side that we saw, especially during the Marley arc. I find him really enjoyable to watch. I like how he's a mastermind type villain, but also as we see this chapter, he's not the stereotypical perfect mastermind. You know, he messes up a lot. And I also think he does have a bigger plan than we know at the moment. Yeah, like Raku said, that doesn't excuse his cruelness he's shown in the past. Yeah, I can't stand. Like I, He just makes my skin crawl. And... Um something I've complained about in this manga. I mean, I love the fact that these characters are all very gray and that they have their redeeming qualities. Uh, Since we haven't seen any, as far as I'm concerned, any redeeming qualities in Zeke, I am enjoying very much hating him and a little nervous about next chapter because I would like to keep on having at least one character in this manga that I can just feel, you know, unconflicted about. And he's somebody that um, I just don't... I mean, I know you guys don't justify his behavior as well, but aside from the humor that Isayama manages to give his character, I find absolutely nothing good about him. He just, he's terrifying, absolutely terrifying. Uh, You say that you're um, worried about next chapter because you really enjoy hating Zeke. Are, Are you worried he's going to die or meet his end? No, I'm I'm wondering how humanized. I think Isayama always tries to humanize his villains. I think he tried that with Rod Reese a little bit with Sanes. It those always fell flat for me. I I was never able to like sympathize with them or or see any silver lining to what they did. Um, he was very successful with Kenny. Kenny's a character I hated. That I now. I still think he's a terrible person, but um, he's a character now that you know part of me loves, and I just don't want to ever have any part of me that loves Zeke. <laughs> so that's totally selfish and silly. But him and Corinna Braun, like, let me just hate these people. Let me have some target because this this is a hard manga. You know, we go through a lot as readers. Give me one outlet for my rage and let it be this person. So yeah, I'm. I'm I mean, I don't know if we'll get into predictions at the end of this chapter, but. I know for a fact Isayama's going to try to hurt me or make me hurt for Zeke, and I am just not going to do it. Famous last words. It'll be really hard to keep hating Zeke if he continues with that adorable little baby face that he had at the end of this chapter. I am 
See, I didn't even, I, I'm going to X that one out of my, <laughs> my Tonkabon when I get it. <laughs> Next chapter, we'll get some toddler Zeke Ugh. playing with a little monkey toy. I know we can't compare suffering, but the characters I think that have had the most horrific backstories are certainly Reiner and Zeke. I mean, it's impossible not to feel sympathy for Zeke for what he went through as a child. But there are just enough characters in this manga that went through truly horrific childhoods that actually grew up still caring about humans. And uh, I just don't see that in Zeke. He's just so quick to discard everyone, including his fellow warriors. And um, so that's always been my beef with him. I don't see any humanity in him at present. And a tragic childhood does not justify that. Yeah, at this point, the only thing that could help. It'll never justify being cruel for no reason as he has been like inner monologues enjoying the death, but the actions can be justified if we learn his full plan and it is what he is implying it to be, which is a good thing. Yep. And if it, is, if it does end up justified, then maybe him enjoying it could be chalked up to, you know, just the horrors of what he had to do to accomplish what he did got to his head. And I mean, I, that might be making excuses for him. I don't want to like plead insanity for Zeke, but, but I, I mean, if that is your goal, if, if his goal is to save the world or whatever his, whatever their ultimate goal is, that's some greater good, then having to do these horrible things to reach, that would probably mess with your head. And I'm willing to chalk up, you know, the baseball talk and making a game of all the killing as a coping mechanism. We've seen plenty of characters who have had some coping mechanisms that are um, dark, I guess. I have read those thoughts and I agree with that. I mean, there may be some aspect... You know, like Annie taking pride in her ability to kill. That was no doubt a coping mechanism. Swinging the soldiers, stomping, you know, just finding some glimmer or some positive in in the horrific things they're having to do. But Isayama's done such, I think, a marvelous job of making Zeke multidimensional. Well, really, except for acknowledging Aaron as his brother, not showing any compassion. So I'll, I'll be interested. I... I'll be interested to see what he what he does to change to change my mind. I'm the, I'm the change my mind meme. I hate Zeke Yeager. Change my mind. We'll see what happens. I do think we're going to see some Zeke compassion next chapter with some of those flashbacks. But yes, but will it work? We'll find out <laughs> next episode. So we'd asked in the poll whether or not Zeke's internal monologue affected feelings about him, and that was really remarkable. This chapter that we got so much insight into Zeke's thinking. And the majority were completely unchanged. I think one quarter of the fandom at this point does view him more favorably. And one of the big conversation topics that I saw browsing around on Tumblr and Reddit were people wondering if Zeke had explained his plan to Levi, was there a chance Levi would have understood and they would have worked together? What do you guys think? I don't think that there's a way that Zeke could explain any plan to Levi that would make Levi trust him. Like, even if his plan made perfect sense and it seemed totally innocent, I don't think Levi would ever trust a word that Zeke says, because, just because of their history. I agree. I think Levi might understand the plan in theory, like he might understand all the strategic points of it, but he might not, he certainly wouldn't agree to execute it because he doesn't trust Zeke as well as he might just have a different moral standing point that this is the action that needs to be taken. And I mean, their plan obviously involves Aaron and Zeke meeting and using the coordinate in some way. I mean, Zeke can tell Levi that they want to use the coordinate one way, but it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to do that. I mean, there's no guarantee they're going to do what he tells Levi. So why would Levi trust Zeke, who's done all these horrible things from his perspective? Yeah. Something interesting that Zeke mentioned is that uh, him and Aaron want to meet up at a certain time and place. But I'm not really 
understanding how that's flowing with the fact that the Jaegerists are specifically trying to find out where Zeke is and going there. Yeah, I noticed that too. That was a strange, a strange thing. Just, I, we talked about this, I don't know if it was last month, two months ago, that there did seem to be a timetable. Like, um, I had questioned why the brothers didn't run off immediately when they got off the airship. Nobody could stop them. Aaron could have left that prison cell at any point, but they definitely needed time to do something. And I've speculated that, you know, maybe it was to build public support. Maybe it was uh, to get the pieces into play. You know, there's something about the timetable that I'm not getting either. And like you said, Puppet, the logic of, you know, take us to Zeke, and then Zeke's saying, uh, I can't wait to meet you at our... It, it might indicate that the Jaegerists don't know everything. Yeah, that the Jaegerists and Aaron are more dis- disconnected than the name might imply. Uh, Aaron, as well, had another point that Zeke brought up about him this chapter, and that's that he's the only other one who understands this plan. That implies that Aaron isn't controlled by Zeke, but is an independently thinking person who just happens to agree with them, which goes against what the Survey Corps, some of them have thought and what Sackley suggested, which I'm really happy that that's confirmed because the idea that Aaron was being completely manipulated, not just like socially, but like through paths being manipulated where he had no will in his actions, I always dislike that because that would go against any character development that we've seen with them. So I'm glad he seems to be independently thinking, but that also means he has a higher uh, moral blot on him since he chose to do everything he did. I'm actually starting to think that Zeke trusts Aaron more than Aaron trusts Zeke, and that maybe Aaron is pulling more strings than people think he is. Uh, And that's partially because we have seen pretty much zero of his point of view, this whole arc. Um, So what he's thinking is obviously very important to what's happening. But it's really hard to say what he's planning or why he's using Zeke or why he's using the Jaegerists. Because like, I, I think he's using both groups. I think he's using Zeke and the Jaegerists. That panel really excited me this chapter when Zeke spoke honestly about uh, his and Aaron's uh, complicity in this and their agreement. And uh, I always talk about Zeke never showing any signs of humanity. And I guess I take that back because the way he spoke about Aaron is almost fond and my opinion was always that Zeke is manipulating using Aaron. Maybe that's not the case. Maybe it is going the other way. And I would be excited by that development. Again, it would speak to Zeke being presented as this flawless mastermind uh, if Aaron is actually playing him. So yeah, I'm, I'm super interested and was happy to see that panel included. Yep. And we still haven't seen them together, really. I mean, we saw them on the airship, but they didn't. there were no words exchanged. They didn't really even look at each other. So I'm really, really, really excited to see these two finally talk and do things together. <laughs> Something I did really, um, that I also enjoyed, and I think, Puppet, you had mentioned this, was just the sheer memeability of Zeke. And that panel of him getting that Titan piggyback ride, you know, he's kind of just like arms slouched around her, holding onto the finger. And uh, I noticed when he talked about being sad about this particular engagement or not happy about it, that she appeared to be actually crying. And I wonder if, um, you know, it, obviously he's able to control the Titans with, with his thoughts once they're in this form. Um, he was able to somehow signal to her that he wanted to be carried and she picks him up, that he was sad and she starts to cry. Um, I don't know if that's real or if I'm imagining it. Yeah, we've seen that some 
Titans are able to get their feelings across, like the one that uh, Langer found that talked, and then, of course, Connie's mom saying, welcome home, and Dina Fritz letting some will come out and trying to find Grisha. Uh, so it's possible that this Titan, their sadness, was able to get out, which would be odd. Typically in the past, we've seen strong wills that are able to get through and do that. So it's interesting this kind of random soldier may have done that. Well, do you think she was channeling Zeke's emotions? Do you think she was reflecting his feelings? Or do you think that was kind of her, um, you know, expressing her own will? Probably her own will. Zeke doesn't seem particularly saddened here, but also he hasn't seen the type to show emotions. It's also very possible that she was just crying because the Titan next to her is flossing. Is what? Is what? Yeah, I was going to Flossing, the dance move. The the (laughs) Mimi one. She's embarrassed that the two of them were uh, assigned to work together on this yeah. particular. Oh my goodness, you're right. I just looked at it. He is flossing. Yeah, Isayama has he has spared no no uh, expense in how he's drawing these titans and how um, horrific and adorable and hilarious and memeable he's making those as well. Yeah, there's the dance party in 106. It's like he moved on from as soon as titans weren't the scary threat anymore. Now they're automatically just memesters. Comic relief. It's amazing how we get those moments um, in in something this dark. But again, you know, even though the female Titan in this particular panel, it's like he's enjoying spending time with her. I mean, his immediate reaction to rip her head off and stomp on her body, you know, just another one of those moments where I'm just like, I'm absolutely stunned at his complete lack of humanity. I mean, he spent a solid month with that soldier too. And granted, she's an enemy soldier, but how can you be completely unmoved at the plight of people after a month? And he said it in 107, like that he's been responsible for killing so many Eldians and they're the people that he's supposedly on the side of and that he said it's it's what he felt he needed to do. And he said that he was tortured by it, but I mean, we saw how he acted this chapter too, so. Yeah, Aaron Kruger also sent thousands of Eldians to their deaths. We didn't get to see that, uh, so he was likely stoic during it. We don't know if he had internal monologues enjoying it. It didn't seem like it, but for all we know, he did as well. But for all we have going off now, Zeke just seems like a cruel Kruger. When Kruger was talking to Grisha, he told Grisha that he felt bad for torturing Eldian after Eldian after Eldian, like the people that he was supposedly serving. So, I mean, Kruger also expressed that same kind of um pained feeling about what he had to do but kruger mm-hmm. actually expressed regret yeah and in this chapter we did get the insight that zeke infers that he thought compassion weakness attachment to people were all downfalls they were all flaws in personality so zeke truly seems to view attachments of any sort as weaknesses sounds like a sith sounds like what a sith lord from star wars <laughs> Are you guys also seeing the Star Wars parallels, like the Anakin, or Aaron being Anakin? Are you guys picking up on all that, too? Is it? Yeah. Um, I'm actually not a big Star Wars person, but okay, I can kind of see it. Yeah, I definitely am feeling the Star Wars parallels here. I'm bigger on the Guardians of the Galaxy parallels, just because I've been obsessing over that, supposedly influencing the ending. So. I've tried so hard to try and think of how that can work in this story, and I just can't think of anything that is concrete. I've got an elaborate theory, but it's really crazy, so I'm not even going to get into it. 
Well, you have to at least tell us like who the who, whose character Aaron correlates to and Levi's. And um... Aaron is obviously Star Lord. I think Zeke is actually Star Lord's father. If we're referring to Guardians of the Galaxy two, the long lost family member he didn't know he had until very recently. That leads him astray, kind of. I think Reiner is Yandu, the disgraced hero who eventually ends up saving the day. Uh, and yeah, that's the really short version without me pasting my five paragraph essay. My best bet on what it means. Uh, I don't necessarily think there's like like a character that quite stop everyone and it's going to be like the exact same thing just with Attack on Titan characters. I feel it's just the general way that that final act is structured. Both of the movies end with like three forces together. Like the first one ends with the alien force, the people defending the home planet and the guardians, those three forces. And the second one ends with the main villain, uh, the guardians, and then that like group of golden people. So with all the parties in play in Attack on Titan right now, I feel like we're going to have a final like battle with three parties in play with like the warriors, the Jaegerists, and the Survey Corps, and maybe the world forces involved, you know, just all these forces going at each other. I know that's something that Luna's excited about, me too, the chance of uh, the warriors and the Survey Corps needing to join forces to stop a bigger threat. Or, you know, anytime enemies have to come together over, over a common goal, it's always exciting to me. So I don't know if that's the direction the story is going to go, but it does seem that, you know, everyone at this point is afraid of what uh, Zeke and Aaron can do with those Titans. So um, it may be that alliances are formed, temporary alliances, which um, would be wonderful to see. Yeah, I agree that uh, the Warriors will likely end up just talking things out with Armin and the other Survey Corps. I hope so. Yeah, me too. So let's move into the second savage person, and that would be Levi. And who would have thought the most controversial part of this chapter would be that Levi was able to quickly defeat Zeke? I don't know if that was just on Tumblr and Twitter that I saw rumblings of this. Did you guys hear any of that controversy? Did you see any of the... I think people were actually expecting Levi to die this chapter or be critically injured and were very disappointed that he wasn't. Uh, Well, I was actually following the leaks when they were coming out. So I I definitely was hearing all of the, oh my gosh, Levi's going to die. And part of that was because of the leaks that dropped when they did. Um, I didn't really expect him to die, especially not in the second to last chapter of a volume. Um, But I also don't think that he's overpowered or that uh, he was too powerful for the situation or that he took down Zeke too quickly. Uh, I understand the idea of the controversy because this fight has been built up so much and Zeke especially has been built up as such a mastermind. The fact that he made a simple mistake and got taken out so quickly, I can understand where people are upset and not having like a a fair, even long drawn out fight. But uh, like I mentioned before, I really like how Zeke has been built up as this 11 out of 10 intelligence mastermind, but he's not just a typical, always everything's going to plan Kaikaku type villain. He may have all that intelligence, but he doesn't have any emotional intelligence whatsoever. And so that's what's led to the downfall of all of his plans. Because of the controversy surrounding this, we put a lot of focus on that in the poll because I was super curious about whether or not um, people were disappointed in this or thought that Levi was being um, out of character. And actually, there was very little support for that. Only 11% of people uh, have indicated that they thought Levi was too overpowered to the point that it hurt their enjoyment of the story. So 11% is still a significant chunk not to be ignored, but certainly not the majority. And only 8.6% 
at this point have thought that his defeat of Zeke was unrealistic. So there is a segment of the fandom that believes that. And, um, but you know, the majority, I, I think it shows a lot of support for Levi. In fact, we later asked about sympathy or which character we felt the most sympathy for. And Levi is overwhelming uh, at this point as being the character that we think has suffered the most. Another question we asked was about the um, slice and dice of Zeke's legs, whether that was cruel or they were disappointed in Levi with how savagely he treated Zeke. And only 3.6% were disappointed in him for doing that. Most everyone else had some reaction that seemed to think that they didn't condone it, but they, uh, they got it and that, you know, Zeke had it coming. Yeah, that's one of those things that, like, it's cruel because it's kind of torture, but it also makes logical sense not to let him fully regenerate so he can't transform. And that's where I end up on most things, as we'll discuss uh, in a little bit as well, I'm sure, with Flock doing a, uh, having some savagery as well. But when something makes strategic sense, if it's cruel to someone else, I w- will condone it typically in this story if it's done to someone who isn't built up as someone we're supposed to like, but if it is, then obviously you naturally want to rally against that. And I kind of saw that with Zachley being killed and that wasn't as big a deal. Uh, but Keith gets beat up and it hurts a lot more because we care about Keith. And so that's how I feel about Zeke being cut up thing as well. Since we haven't built that much emotional attachment to him, he's been billed as cruel. It's natural to not care that his feet are being cut up. And in this situation, I don't necessarily feel bad for Zeke for having his legs cut up or anything. Because, yeah, Levi has a really good reason for doing that. He explained it. He wants to keep him from being able to shift or, you know, take back any sort of power in the situation. I've seen some talk that uh, Levi is kind of regressing into his no regrets self, where he was a little bit more brutal and darker. And, you know, he's not the same Levi that we've come to know over the years. Mom Taku, you're kind of the Levi person in this podcast. So I kind of want to hear your thoughts on that specifically, because... I mean, that, that was really interesting to me that we, we have seen a darker side of Levi recently than we've seen in a long time. I think that darker side was always there, though. I don't see, I, I also have seen that where people think that there's been a regression in his character. But I think the one defining uh, thing about, about Levi is that he's, a, uh, I hate to use the word hero because it's hard to define anyone in this manga as truly heroic. But Kenny's speech about, everyone being a slave to someone. Levi is definitely a slave to heroism and feeling like he uses he needs to use his power for the benefit of humanity. That's how he was lured into the Survey Corps was, let's save humanity together. But he's never been anyone, he's never had a moral compass when it comes to violence. He's never set himself up as, you know, a role model for people. That violence, I mean, emotionless when torturing Sane's a couple extra punches in the face when he was interrogating the military police, choking Historia. I mean, this guy, I don't see that this is a regression. I see this as just, he has never had an issue being violent. And maybe now he's just letting it out a little bit more obviously because he's got the object of his affections right in front of him. So, One thing I have long believed is that the reason Levi is babysitting Zeke in the forest is because Levi has requested this assignment. Levi is waiting for the opportunity to kill him because he promised that he would and because he hates the guy and doesn't trust him. So I feel like for a month, he's been sitting there watching this person, waiting for a mistake, 
waiting to let all this aggression out. And uh, the minute he found out about Zachary's murder, he had his in. And transforming his 30 comrades into titans, I mean, it was permission to do exactly what he wanted to Zeke, which he clearly enjoyed doing. I'd take that a little further and say he didn't get to do exactly what he wants to do to Zeke yet. <laughs> and he made that very yeah. clear too. So <laughs> <laughs> it, it really was hard to look at. I don't know what to say about the art. On the plus side, the art in this chapter, I found sort of delightful because of all the sound effects that were used. You were saying, Puppet, that we don't often get that. Yeah, Kodansha really stepped up this month. Uh, sometimes they don't fully do sound effects. And this month they did. I also didn't notice any typos, which previous months, as we all know, we've had like a dozen typos and just like a paragraph just in the middle of art and stuff like that. So overall, I was impressed with their handling of this chapter. Woohoo, they proofread this time. <laughs> they did. And one of my friends um, kind of just on a, as an aside mentioned to me that it was an homage to Stan Lee, which I thought was um, kind of a fun thought that this chapter they really worked in all the fun sound effects to kind of give homage to a man who has done so much. So that part of the design was great. Uh, some of the really horrifying images we saw were very hard. And I, I have some friends who can't even read this chapter because of how graphically it was drawn. What's it called? Like trypophobia uh, with the way Zeke looked, you know? Yeah. Reiku, what was your, um, how did you equate how Zeke looked? Uh, like a piece of pizza with the cheese pulled off. And I can't take credit for that. That was somebody on Reddit, but I love that description because it's perfect. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, that, that is exactly it though. Yeah. I mean, I can't think of a better way to make people imagine what Zeke looks like. <laughs> I noticed on all the sound effects at the very end of the defeat, there's one panel of the female Titan that, um, Zeke ripped in half. It's the tiniest sound effect there, but there's a little tiny twitch from her dismembered yeah, jaw. I and I was like, Aww. they, yeah, they really had fun. Somebody had fun with this. I wonder if we have a new translator now. Something else I noticed about the translation, uh, it was much closer to the, the fan type set by uh, Organic Dinosaur and the Jimmy's Box team. There were only like a handful of very minor differences I noticed. Typically, some major things change between the fan version and this version, or Organic Dinosaurs version and the official version. Typically, it's due to the fact that the official version is worse than Organic Dinosaur put more time in, but this month they were pretty on par, so I was really happy to see the official finally step up like that. Maybe that's just the result of so many bad months that they were like, you know what, maybe we should finally step up our game and get things right for the official version and not get shown up by some unofficial fan type set. <laughs> yeah. It'd be nice to think that they've paid attention to our complaints because I think we've all been very vocal about some missteps in Kodansha recently that are, especially since they're obviously cracking down on the fan translations. Part of the reason those things are happening is because they're not being careful enough, uh, not, not giving it any attention or, you know, just not doing a good job. With the fan versions not being a thing as much anymore, I've started... Uh, waiting for the official version most months. This month I didn't because it came early and I couldn't resist uh, the sweet leaks. But I was worried that since I'm going to read the official version mainly from now on, that if the quality continued to be the same, it would make my initial reading experience poor. That's why for the third time, I'm really happy to see them step up. And this month didn't have a lot of text, so it wasn't a big test. If next month has a lot of text, like if it's flashback heavy or something, then hopefully they can continue with another month of 
good quality. That's a very good point. This chapter was not very text-heavy. Because of that, I thought we wouldn't find things to talk about, but look at us go. I also really enjoyed the use of Thunder Spears by Levi. When they first popped up in the manga and the, their chapter name was Thunder Spears, it just seemed kind of gimmicky to me since it was the first time we'd seen a weapon like that. It just seemed like, like a one-off thing. But they've been used a lot since then. They're used on the Warhammer Titan. They're used on the Beast Titan. So I really like that they're a main part of their arsenal now. And the panel of the Beast Titan's name being blown up is one of my two favorites this chapter. The other one being the Batman Levi. My favorite panel is probably the one of him falling in front of his titanized comrades. Like just the dead look on his face. That's my favorite. That was absolutely haunting. That's a good one. Yeah, I don't know that I have a favorite. I, this I, I'm a, I'm in the camp that this was a hard chapter to look at, but um, you know the what was it? The fidget spinner, Levi. That was um, midget spinner. Yeah, yeah, midget spinner. All of, all of that was um, fantastic. I obviously am feeling like I do about Zeke and how I feel about Levi. I was really happy, which sounds cruel, to see Levi get this moment to just unleash. That was gratifying, and it shouldn't be, but I I loved it. Uh, Well, I thought the battle between Zeke and Levi was actually kind of hard to follow on my first look through, just because of the whole branches thing and what Levi was doing in the trees. But I thought it was actually really clever, because in a way, I was kind of misled in the same way that Zeke was. When Zeke thought he was throwing stuff at Levi, I thought he was throwing stuff at Levi, too. But turns out Levi was a step ahead of both me and Zeke and was you know, trying to distract him from seeing what he was doing and where he was coming from with his Thunder Spears and it worked. Same here. It took me like probably three lead throughs of the fight to fully comprehend what was going on. There was a a lot going on, a lot of smart maneuvers. I was like, why is it raining flowers and branches? What's going on? (laughs) But yeah. This, This is one of those that makes me excited that it will be animated someday. And I think even once the colorists get in there and color the chapter, it's going to make it a lot more vivid as to exactly what Levi did. Yeah, this is going to be amazing animated. I can't wait. I can't help but wonder. I saw some, somebody sent me an ask, do I think Levi will face negative consequences for stopping Zeke and delaying the Jaeger brother plan? And my immediate reaction was no, of course not. The only negative consequences Levi ever faces are losing his friends. And he's already done that. He's lost basically everyone. I know he still cares about Hanji. I know he still cares about his comrades, but that's the only negative consequence. But then I started thinking about it and reading other people's replies, and that's not the only consequences. I mean, this could end, this could end up even worse because this is Levi. You know, knowing Isayama, even good things end up becoming horrible things. And Regardless of Zeke and Aaron's plan, I personally don't think that Zeke and Aaron's plan is to the benefit of humanity. Uh, I think I don't think Zeke's is anyway, maybe Aaron. But delaying this could have a ripple effect that could end up here. I'm cheeringly by doing this thing and it could end up disastrous. So we did ask this question on the poll. And more than half the fandom thinks Levi is absolutely going to have negative consequences for this because Isayama. Uh, what do you guys What do you guys think? Is there any chance that Levi can have this one moment without paying for it? I think that's actually the point. I think this is Levi's one moment. And I know how cynical that sounds, but 
when I was reading through this chapter and when I was like getting the leaks and everything and everyone was worried about Levi's death, I wasn't really concerned because like I said, it was the second to last chapter of a volume and it didn't really seem like it was his time to go. But now it's really interesting that what I'm seeing happen in the fandom is that people are not worried about Levi at all anymore. Nobody, everyone's saying like, wow, Levi's going to live to the end. Levi's going to survive. But the way I've kind of been reading this whole volume, volume 28, is it's been very focused on Levi's character. Like we had chapter 112 where it showed his comrades, all the people that he cared about that he's lost with special emphasis on Irvin. And we've also had this chapter now where it looks like a victory and everyone's like, oh, we can rest easy. We could exhale. Levi's not at risk anymore. And I'm really thinking that it's all leading up to a really, really heart-wrenching chapter 114 in which Levi is no longer going to be with us. And how's that? I actually think it, it might be Aaron that does it. I'm not sure how or when or where. But I mean, we were just shown in I think chapter 112 that Levi has, he doesn't want to pass off Aaron's Titan. He says he believes in him. He doesn't want Aaron to die right now. And so it would just be kind of a big gut punch if Aaron, upset about Levi getting in the way of his plan or Levi interfering with it, gets rid of Levi. And just so much emphasis was put on Levi this volume. And volume 28, I'm thinking, is going to be a Levi send-off volume. Is this volume 28? I believe so. Is it? Okay. Yep. (laughs) Ask ask our resident trivia man. Um, All I want, I expect Levi will die before the end of the manga. All I want is, when he was talking about Aaron last chapter... He put his hand to his head and he said, you know, was this all a cruel joke? All I want is for Levi to die, not thinking that his life was a cruel joke. Like knowing that everything he's done, all the mistakes he's made, all the choices he's made have ultimately resulted in something good. Uh, And I want that for Reiner as well. I just, if, if Levi was to die believing everything was a cruel joke, I just think that would be incredibly cruel uh, and far more cruel than is fair to the fandom at this point. What do you think about that? You think Isayama cares? What uh, I think Isayama likes fandom? to make us suffer. <laughs> I just, Erwin got such a good send off, you know, like I have no complaints. Sasha, um, you know, a cruel death, but, um, you know, a kind of send off that showed love and compassion in both instances. I would hate to think that Levi, who is arguably Isayama's most successful creation, would not be sent off knowing he accomplished something. And Aaron killing him would absolutely be uh, a cruel joke, you know, after he'd mentored him and helped him and protected him for five years or or whatever. I feel like it would be interesting to, if Aaron does kill him, to be in the same chapter as maybe some flashbacks explaining Aaron's seeks full motives. Because if Isayama wants to keep them as the villains in the story at the moment, uh, if we had a whole chapter explaining their motives, we'd come out of it feeling like they might have good reason and they might be the good guys now. But if we hear their motives, they're good, but then they kill Levi, then they'll be in the same spot that Isayama wants us to have them in. I, I, I'm also in agreement that I think if Levi dies, it will be at Aaron's hands. And I just find that I'm just completely incredulous about it. That's my fear. That's what I absolutely don't want happening. So, but yeah, I rarely get what I want in this manga. Do you think it will be Titan form Aaron or human form Aaron? 
I think it'll be human. I haven't thought about it. I'm not sure. I think it would be even, I think the most painful way it could be done is if it's human, Aaron. And Levi yeah. doesn't play oh, yeah. back. Because I don't think Levi would try to kill Aaron before Aaron tries to kill Levi. Like maybe Levi won't be prepared for it. I'm not sure. I've pictured it as just like a human Aaron stabbed in the back and Levi doesn't really get a chance to do anything. But that seems like, like mom was talking about uh, getting a good send off. That seems like unnecessarily cruel. Like it seems like if the point of the death was that it was a uh, uncelebrated meaningless death and that would be how to go. Which I hope is not what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Isayama's kind of moved away from meaninglessly cruel deaths. I mean, a lot of the deaths now have had meaning and I kind of feel like Aaron's been stabbing everyone in the back now for the last, you know, year or the, you know, the, the timeline um, ever since he sided with Zeke. So I feel like that's already happened figuratively. I would hope that doesn't happen literally. I think this could be a very, it could be very powerful and showing us that Aaron maybe isn't doing what we expect he's doing or what the general opinion of what he's doing is, you know, because there are a lot of people who'd be very, very, very shocked by Aaron killing Levi. And people would then question, okay, whose side is he on? Like the people who think that he's, you know, independent and not being controlled would have to stop and question like, okay, why did he kill Levi then? Yeah. It's really dramatic. Can you imagine what would happen in fandom if that happened though? It'd be explosive. (laughs) If Levi does die in a meaningless way, I feel like it would be similar to Sasha's death because she kind of just got shot for no reason and then just died on the airship. But her impact from her death happened after her death and the way it affected the story and the other characters. I feel like that's how Levi would be. His death, Aaron killing him, would have a major impact on the way people view Aaron, which might end up letting giving them the will to stop him and saving the world or something that comes to that people cite character popularity as um a reason not to kill a character but facts show that a character death makes them even more popular and i have no doubt that if levi dies uh, his character popularity will go through the he's already hugely popular looking at the poll this month so much sympathy and support for this character a cruel or unjustified death would be absolute chaos, but it would also, uh, you know, just heighten all sorts of emotions, good ones and bad. So I, I hope not. I hope, I, I don't think Levi's going to survive this manga, but I would hope his death is either towards the end or, um, you know, epilogue type thing. But um, yeah, I mean, if it happens, it happens. And, we're and also, I agree with you, Reiko. I could see it happening. Yep. And we're also, we, we're getting pretty close to the end, depending on like who's, uh, guesses you think are more accurate. Like I'm actually thinking chapter 122 is going to be the last chapter of the manga. Most people, I think 126 is the most popular guess right now. What are you I'm guys in thinking? I'm the 130 camp. Yeah, I I agree. At least at least two more volume or this volume and then two more. Um, that's at a minimum, and we see how Isayama can move the story when he wants. He can very effectively move uh forward at lightning speeds so it just depends how much time he wants to talk about all the side characters that he introduced that still have like little threads hanging around i think that uh the story is going to come to an end fairly quickly once the jaeger brothers meet each other assuming they still do which i think they still are i don't think there's a whole lot that could happen once they meet like after that 
I agree. I feel like we're going to get a few chapters tying up the loose ends. Like next chapter might be a Zeke flashback explaining motives there. And then we'll get some Historia info and then maybe like a warrior chapter, how they're involved. And then all the pieces will be in play to have a few chapters to finish out. Yeah, this chapter, though, really exemplified. I mean, I think people were expecting, like you were saying earlier, that this to be a more evenly tied battle. I mean, this we think about like some of the early Titan battles, Clash and the ones in Trost, those went on for chapters. This one was done in, you know, six pages. This was also so, one-on-one, though, too. Yeah. Well, I guess not one-on-one, but for, for all intents and purposes, it was one-on-one. But I could see early in the series where Isayama would have, you know, drug this out forever. Um, you know, we'd be every month wondering who's going to live, who's going to live. And it just didn't happen this time. This time it was just a smackdown and it's over. So um, he can, and, and, and people were disappointed by that, right? They wanted to see a more evenly matched battle, which would have taken more time. So he can move the story. He absolutely can make things happen quickly. I feel like another main reason that could contribute to people's, uh, feeling about the fight being too easy for Levi's side is that their first fight, which went even quicker than this, was the fight in chapter 81 where Levi just sliced him up in like two pages and that was the end of it. There wasn't even a fight. And so I feel like people were looking forward to the fight. Like Zeke's learned from his mistakes, not to underestimate Levi. They're finally going to have like a good fight, two of our favorite characters, epic fight. And then it went very similarly to chapter 81's fight. Was Zeke's problem back then underestimating Levi or simply just being distracted and not realizing Levi was coming for him? I mean, he underestimated the Survey Corps. I think it was Irwin he underestimated as far as uh, strategic thinking, and then it was Levi as far as skill. Yeah, I think he definitely underestimated Irwin's self-sacrifice. And then, of course, this chapter, completely not understanding human emotion, thinking that human emotion on Levi's part would stop anything. I, I think my favorite line in this was when Levi... And, and it, okay, this is strange. Puppet, you, pro- you might have insight into this. It looked like they were talking, but they're having kind of like parallel internal monologues, right? Uh, Levi when Levi Zeke? says, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, where Levi says, you thought I couldn't kill people. Do you realize how many of my comrades I've killed? I mean, was there any moment in this story where they were actually hearing each other's thoughts? I think Zeke was yelling some of the things he was saying. Like when he was talking about his cute subordinates. Was Levi speaking back or was that his internal thoughts? When I read it, uh, and so far when I've read it, it was Levi actually talking. But yeah, it could just be internal monologue now that you say that. I think it was Levi talking, but not for Zeke to hear him. It was more like talking out loud to yourself. Yeah. The speech bubbles are like talking out loud speech bubbles, but I don't think they were intended for Zeke to hear them because that wouldn't make sense. Yeah, it would be impossible, being that unless Zeke has super hearing in addition to super throwing, um, <laughs> because their physical distances would not have allowed it. Okay, so that makes sense. So Zeke actually speaks to Levi, what happened to your cute subordinates, you've killed them, and then Levi responds, but not in a way that Zeke can hear him. That makes sense. Yeah, Levi could definitely hear Zeke, because Zeke's got the big old Titan voice. Well, the, the point of, do you know just how many we've killed? You know, I just absolutely loved Levi getting to say that. Yeah, because Zeke doesn't understand that. Like, Zeke doesn't understand what Levi's had to go through for the past however many years he's been doing this. Yeah, and I don't think Zeke understands basic human emotions. I don't think he understands how emotions work or how people have them 
I don't know if that's because he doesn't have them or he's buried them so far that they're they're completely gone. Well, it's interesting because it seemed like he expected Levi to have more human emotion and that he expected Levi not to be able to kill his subordinates because they're his subordinates. That's a really dumb thought to have. What was he going to do? Get, you know. Yeah, like just let him let his subordinates eat him now because they're titans. Like, yeah. I mean, most people I think would probably be more conflicted than Levi was doing what he did because Levi's very down to the point and like practical, pragmatic. He knows what he knew what needed to be done. We still got that one panel of him asking if his if his comrade was still in there. That was um yeah, that was just to hurt us. Just go ahead and stab us all in the heart with that one. Oh, and the tea. The panel where they're asking him if they can drink the wine because Levi has tea he could drink too. And oh my goodness. Yeah, that moment of realization was powerful. I don't need a heart. It's okay. We need to all be like Zeke and just not care. I try to be, but then I read chapters like this and especially last chapter and I realize I'm not like Zeke. <laughs> Yeah, I keep thinking Isayama's done his worst and can't hurt me anymore, and that that is all a lie. Every month, he can hurt me. You heard it here, everybody. Mom Taku wishes everybody was more like Zeke. (laughs) (laughs) I I wish we had a switch we could turn on the, this does not hurt me switch. Click, and yeah. yeah. And then turn it off when we're done with our entertainment. So, end of the chapter. They are heading off into the sunrise together, which I hate even saying those words. Where do you guys think they're going? <sighs> it's, I've changed my mind on this so many times since the chapter dropped. <laughs> I used to say Shiganshina, but I don't think Levi would take him there because Levi knows that, you know, the military has been compromised and the Jaegerists have control of pretty much everything. Historia is an option. And then there's also the Ragako theory. Yeah, Historia was my initial reaction because it just, there's no real reason for but just popped into my mind and a lot of other people's as well as something that makes sense to where the story could go next but it makes not a lot of sense for why levi would go there because the whole reason he wants to feed zeke to someone else is so that they can have his power until historia gives birth and is able to take it and historia is still a few months out from what we've been told which i don't know how she's a few months out with that belly but whatever <laughs> and so he's not bringing zeke to historia to feed him to her at the moment and uh, I was talking with Eric from Cast of the Titans, and he brought up an interesting idea that Levi could be going to Ragako. If Connie's mother is still there, then that's a Titan that they have ready to feed, and one where Levi would know the location of, and it's likely close to where he is, closer than maybe any Titans they have captured in the interior. And it would also be such poetic justice to try and feed Zeke to the Ragako citizen he transformed. And we just got the Rogako uh, flashbacks and bringing that back up into the story. So now would be a good time to, to do that. And that is in the same volume, even volume 28. Wow. Yep. Connie's mom transforming back would be a powerful moment when he meets her, of course. And also she'd be able to give full information on what actually happened to Rogako if that's important at all still. But that would mean Zeke dying. Is there a chance? If Zeke dies, Aaron Yeager is our enemy, right? Yeah, I'm conflicted on the theory. I feel like it makes a lot of sense to go there, but I don't feel like Zeke will die at the moment. That's where I'm at. I don't think Zeke's going to get fed to anybody in Ragako just because I don't think Zeke's ready to die yet. I think he's got a lot more to do in the story. I feel like what might happen is Levi goes to Ragako, and when Zeke finds out he's about to be fed to a titan, he tells Levi that uh, his subordinates aren't the only ones affected by the wine and that everyone who drank it 
has the spinal fluid in him now, and he could scream and actively transform them. So whether that's a bluff or not, whether distance matters, or whether it's just this choice that he transforms, maybe Levi doesn't want to risk all the higher-ups and everyone in the cities just having Titans run amok. So I feel like he may play that card. I mean, I definitely think the wine was planted so that Zeke would have leverage over every single person in the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is powerful. That's a powerful motivator. If, if Zeke is able to control his scream and really fine tune what it does, and that was even hinted at in this chapter, Levi asks himself when he realizes that these Titans are faster than most, you know, did Zeke do that? Zeke clearly can, um, create designer titans like he can imbue them with all sorts of interesting quirks that most titans don't have they can move at night they can be fast they can so that's definitely something levi could believe if he if zeke says you know i can control this i can scream and your entire walled city will be filled with titans what's she going to do about it that would certainly work yeah, I, t- I tell you, they, I had not, never in a million years would have considered Rakugo as a destination, but I can't unsee it now. The mountains that are shown are definitely make it look like it's Historia. I think we're supposed to think he's going to see Historia, that he's just done with this and is going to end it. But uh, wow, that would be quite the twist. And if that's you and Eric's theory, then, you know, bravo. One thing that I think is kind of an oof about that theory, though, is if Connie's mom is the person who gets the Beast Titan or whatever, then it means they're probably going to need to be passing it off again very soon. Like, she's not going to get her 13-year term because they need to give that Titan to someone who can activate the rumbling with whoever's holding the founding Titan. Ouch. Yeah, it would essentially be giving Connie the option to give a, say a final goodbye, and that's about it. <sighs> that's so oof. What's wrong with you people? I don't need to hear this. Where's my Zeke, my, my Zeke switch where I can turn off my emotions? That would be so, like, I love Connie. That would be the worst. I can't even imagine, like, the transfer ceremony when Mrs. Springer has to get her moment of humanity. Oh, that would be bad. You guys are the worst. Yeah, my heart hurts thinking about it, too. Well, speaking of people who can turn off their emotions with a switch, we've got Flock Forester doing some uh, nasty things in Shiganshina. Bold of you to assume Flock has emotions. <laughs> <laughs> he has cowardice. So I think um, one thing I've not discussed with you all, oh, I have discussed with Puppet, but not you, Reiko. What is your impression of Flock? What is, where, there's a lot of disagreement in the fandom about him. How do you view him? Or how did you view him? When he first showed up in Marley, I thought he was kind of fun. And he, he seemed like kind of an asshole, but like kind of a fun asshole that like you could just love to hate. So I kind of liked him for that purpose. But now like he's getting a little too extreme for me. And I don't even really enjoy the memes about him that much anymore unless they're making fun of him. <laughs> so I'm not really pro flock at all in any way. And I have um, so much dislike for flock that i hope you don't mind me mentioning this puppet i couldn't even like write a question about him in the poll without it being just really um negative and biased so i actually asked puppet if he would make a contribution this month to the poll and uh, i really liked i really liked the question that you suggested yeah so the flock question in the poll was uh asking people to sum up their thoughts on flock and uh, most of the fandom doesn't really like him, as could be expected. 43.6% said that he needs to burn. 22% did the slightly less severe option of I'm not on his side, but I love to hate him. 
16.2% said that they don't support him, but they're still a Jaegerist. 6.4% said that they, Flock has had some missteps, but they're still reluctantly on his side. And only 3.7% said that he is fully correct. They're on his side. He hasn't done anything wrong. What camp are you guys in for that one? I actually selected the second second worst one in that I'm not on his side, but I love to hate him because, yeah, it's it's fun making fun of his faces and like the, the stupid things he says and really wanting this horrible ending for him that I really think is going to happen. But yeah, and I selected he needs to burn. I mean, I just I'm so done with him. So done. I selected the second to top one that he's had some missteps. I'm so reluctantly on his side. Oh, wow. That's actually different than what I expected. I am too, because you are a Jaegerist all the way, aren't you, Puppet? I don't want to say that without no, I making am. it. Yep. Making, okay. I am a Jaegerist all the way, but Thought Forcer specifically, I still really like. I don't condone him anymore because of what he's done, especially this chapter. It'd be really hard for me to say I'm fully on his side. He has not done anything wrong. He clearly is cruel and evil. But that said, uh, I still really like everything he has to say, and I think he's entirely correct. When he first popped up in this story, I really liked the aspect of him being just like, uh, kind of like Keith, a mere bystander. But he he was just an example of a fodder character. I thought that was a really creative aspect, and so I just liked him because of that. And then chapter 90, when he went off on Aaron, I really liked that even if no one wanted to hear it, he said uh, the logical and smart stuff. And then when he popped back up in chapter 102, I was excited to say I didn't forget about him since he was such a side character. And then his role in the story only expanded from there. And uh, like you said, I am a Jaegerist all the way, and he was the main mouthpiece for them. And everything he said, I fully agreed with, that the rumbling need to be used, that the server core is doing things wrong and all that. So I agree with all he, everything he says, but I've started fundamentally disagreeing with his actions. One of the things that we listed in the poll under memorable moments was, um, and, and not a lot of people have selected it, but I thought it was actually sort of profound. I didn't write it. I don't know who added it. But one of the moments cited was Flock being terrifyingly charismatic. And I thought about that. And when I read his words in this, I mean, it's easy for me to completely disdain this person. But, you know, reading his actual words in the chapter if we remain like this, dependent on an old-fashioned army that doesn't know what to do, we'll only get trampled. I mean, he's so sincere. And and to a point, I can read his words and, okay, yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. But then it just gets totally derailed, totally derailed at that point. So I am sympathetic to people who are Jaegerists all the way. It's a viewpoint I can see when I squint and read it without emotion. But um, yeah, totally, totally got derailed in this moment. Christmas not exclusive to good guys. You know, that like Flock, it really seems like he's kind of an opportunist in the situation. Like there's this big like shuffle in power and he jumped on this Jaegerist train and he's kind of in a position of power right now. And it really seems like he's really just trying to flex, flex those muscles that he has now. I feel like Flock's downfall will be his apathy. Because uh, his whole thing is logic over emotion. And with his first big speech in Chapter 90, that was what it was all about, is that the logical choice was Erwin, but they let their emotion take over and they took Armin. And that's been the mantra he's been stating ever since, which is uh, something I agree with a lot. 
because uh, it's kind of hard to beat logic because it's just laid out flat. There it is. But I feel like he's taken that too far. Logically, sure, you can have them beat up Keith because that would mean they're fully devoted. But with emotion removed, kind of like how Zeke was brought down this chapter because he didn't have the emotional intelligence to understand Levi. The 109th was fully on his side. They were buying everything he was selling. His charisma was working. The only time that they looked not to fully be invested was when he went that far. So I feel like he doesn't understand that that is making people view him as a villain, whereas all of his good points were making them view him as the right person. His cruelness may end up leading people to not want to follow him. I actually really like that you mentioned the uh, logic versus emotion in Flack because, I mean, when we're first introduced to his character in, I think it's RTS is when we first see him. Is that correct? Uh, we, yeah, we first meet him in chapter 70. So we meet him and he, he has these kind of cowardly moments where he kind of just dissolves into a sobbing ball of tears. Like where he's just like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die. I am so scared. And then like with the suicide charge, like it was the order that Irvin told everybody to do it. Like we're all going to ride together because there's a reason for this. We need to distract so that Levi can take out the beast Titan. But at the same time, there's all this emotion that's fighting that logic in that scene. And that's kind of like been in flock from the beginning. It's logic versus emotion. Before he was all about emotion. Now he's all about the logic. Yeah, for sure. I feel like flock is still on the suicide charge to go on the suicide charge. You have to put aside everything that you thought to do what you had to do to save humanity. And I feel like he's still on that. He's put aside everything. He acts like he's just living on borrowed time. He's like, I should have been dead, so I don't even care if my moral conscience is ruined. He's just going forward, like like Aaron said, always moving forward. Sometimes always moving forward means not taking a second to think about what you're doing when you should. Yeah, and he hasn't been ruled by his emotions since then, I don't think. He's all been all about logic. I can agree with what with some of what you guys are saying about this. And I especially agreed early on. I mean, I, I understand why Flock became who he did. But going back to his introduction in um, the dinner before the return to Shiganshina, where I don't know that he admitted to being a coward there, or if it was later on that he admitted to being a coward. But, you know, to my thinking, what is a bully, right? It's a, a bully is a coward who suddenly has power and uses that power to uh, intimidate people. And what's happened is this individual who is very much a coward has now become a bully. And that's very difficult to watch. And and Keith Shadis, while Keith Shadis claims he's not a special person, Keith Shadis's talent has always been to meet somebody and zero in exactly who they are in their core. And that's why he's able to do those assessments about people, why he's able to tailor his training to bring out the best in people. He knew you know, Armin was an intellect. He knew that Connie wasn't the brightest. He, he, his assessments of those kids are all completely spot on. And in this moment, Shadis points that out about Flock, that without the gun, without the army, he's nothing. And I was really happy to see that because no matter what, no matter how rationalized Flock's behavior is, it's, it's when these characters do these horrible things and enjoy it. That's what always gets me seeing this bullying, this, you know, making these recruits who clearly, I think five of the recruits step forward, the rest of them did not want to do this, making them beat someone to the point that they can't stand. All I can think is that's, that's like warlord level of cruelty, like Joseph Coney, who would make people kill their friends and neighbors just to prove their loyalty. These are, it's just, I see the logic. I do. I see where people are terrified that they're going to be destroyed 
And yet, man, he makes it so much worse. It had to be Keith Shadis. I've wanted him back in the story for so long. One of my favorite characters, bystanders, one of my favorite chapters and episodes in season three. If I wanted him back in the story, it was mainly to maybe have a redemption arc. Maybe uh, if the other military leaders get taken out, he leads the charge. But no, he came back in to get emotionally ruined and beaten up. Thank you, Asayama. Look at how brave he was, though. I mean, you got what uh, we asked in the poll whether or not people believed Shadis taunted the new recruits. Was that an effort to protect Hanji and those recruits? 72% think that Keith was an absolute rock star in this moment. Well, nobody really thinks he thought he could take on all those recruits, right? <laughs> like, yeah, he's a big guy, but I mean, there's a lot of them. It wasn't realistic to say, oh, they don't have a chance against me, me and these, me against these 20 kids. 20 like, trained soldiers. I didn't expect Shadis to walk away, yeah. But what a great moment for this man who thought that he wasn't special mm-hmm. to kind of show everyone just how special he was, that he was willing to um, put his life on the line once again for innocent people. Yes. And to the effect of him not being special, I think that makes it even better that he was the one to basically tell Flock, you think you're special, but you're not. And that's why you have to point this gun at me to get me to do anything for you. Isayama isn't fully cruel. I really like that he didn't show us him being beat up. When the leaks came out and the, and the text said that uh, Flock has the recruits beat Shadis until he can't stand, I was like, that's going to be hard to see them continually kick him and he takes the kicks. So I'm glad it was just a cut. Isayama knows what over the top unnecessary. Yeah, that's true. He gave us blow by blow of Zeke being completely physically decimated. But in the case of Keith Shadis, we have this moment of really um, heroic heroism, bravery, protecting, and then lying on the floor. And I think that made it all the more poignant. That was really hard seeing him on the ground like that. I feel bad for you, Puppet. This is like a character. I mean, this had to have been horrible for you. Yeah, it's like watching my son get invested in drugs and go down the wrong path. (laughs) Yeah, but it's even worse, though, because (laughs) the drugs, it's not just harming himself. He's harming somebody you love. Your drug addict son is beating up your non-drug addict son. Yeah. (laughs) I got to be a better father, you know. Yeah, probably. Yeah, that was hard to see. And then Hanji's face, of course, when he says, let's go. Nobody wanted to see this happen. Least of all, not Hanji. I think she must be feeling completely helpless at this moment. Well, yeah, she had to watch it happen. She was there. She heard everything. I mean, think of how difficult that would be. Like, Yeah, she had it worse than us. She did. She wasn't spared seeing every kick. Like, we What's were- wrong with you people? <laughs> I don't need this thought in my head. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to look at the sympathy in the chapter poll. Let me see where we're at here. Um, so we asked the question of who best exemplified savagery. And so far, 70% have said Levi. And then later on, I think at the end, which character did this chapter make you feel most sympathy towards? So 51% Levi, 44% Shadis, 41% Hanji, 36% for the kids in jail right now, and 22% for Zeke. So I would say it was a success on Isayama's part that he was able to manipulate us on all of these accounts. Yeah, he's pretty good at hurting us. For the savagery question... Mm -hmm. I voted for Levi because the word savagery to me it imbues like violence and the most hardcore violence was definitely uh, pizza Zeke uh, with the cheese pulled off. When the chapter title leaked, it was a different version. It was ruthless. And I feel like ruthless uh, would fit flock better than anyone else. 
So I was torn between those two, depending on the translation. I still think Flack was the one that I selected, mostly because his the stuff that he did seemed like it didn't have a purpose. Like, I think a lot of what he did with Shadis was to make a point, you know, to say, look, I'm the, I'm the one in charge. You're going to beat up this guy that was in charge to show that you don't respect the old ways anymore. Whereas, like, Levi with Zeke was very, very, it was very methodical. Like, he was like, well, I'm going to chop off your legs so you can't shift. And I'm going to put this thunder spear right through your belly so that you can't move. And the, the, re, Levi had very specific reasons for everything he did. Where Flock, Flock kind of seems like he's rubbing everybody's face in the dirt. Yeah, that's a big reason I'm not behind him as much anymore. If Keith Chadis had somehow gotten in the way of their plan and the only way to execute this plan was to kill him, I would be really sad because I love Keith Chadis, but okay, he, he has a good plan in mind. He has to do what he has to do. But the fact that it was completely unnecessary is what makes it so cruel. Yeah, it was like a way to solidify the loyalty of the recruits or something. Yeah. And I think there's actually like a psychological theory or something about that, isn't there? I mean, it's like I mentioned before, where, where they've in, uh, used child soldiers in other countries. Part of the way that they get them to join their cause is by having them commit horrific crimes. Once a child commits a horrific crime, it binds them to the cause that they may or may not support. They have, you know, a psychological tie to it. And they've, they've done something to make themselves worthy of, uh, or their fault, that they're even a part of this. And that's all I could see when I saw these kids being ordered to be Keith Shadis, that was, and it's such an awful, I don't want to, I, I don't want to equate it as being the same because what, what has happened to child soldiers in the real world is clearly not what's happening here. But that mentality of having people kill an authority figure, a neighbor, a friend, beat somebody to make them culpable and to implicate them and to force their loyalty is just so completely distasteful to me. So I'm with you, Reiku. I selected Flock for this. Only 17.8% of us did. And then with the whole, with some of them saying like how Aaron Yeager's the leader they need, they need a strong leader who'll know exactly what to do. It almost feels like they're being set up to be disappointed. Maybe not that Aaron is being set up to fail, but that they're being set up to be disappointed in what Aaron's planning. Because I don't think that Aaron intends to do what Flock thinks he's going to be doing. Yep. And there's also the fact that uh, Aaron doesn't seem like a leader. I mean, he's technically the leader of the Eggers, but he's so far removed from them. He doesn't give inspirational speeches or anything. If you want to call him that, that's what Flock does. So it's interesting that they're looking forward to him being a good leader and like you said, he'll likely disappoint in that regard. I've also heard um, people say that maybe these recruits are being set up to be the next batch of flocks recruits that kind of got sent into the, the suicide charge in RTS. So maybe we might see something like that repeat itself with these recruits. Ouch. Yeah, that would be ouch. It would be interesting to have Flock set that up, but then he doesn't lead the charge, so it's Obviously, because of his cowardice, it'd be such a comparison to Irwin, how worse he is. Oh, that'd be amazing, actually. I keep, I, a lot of us are wondering how Flock's going to meet his end. We all know. I mean, I, we don't all know. We know nothing. Um, it, it's very likely he will meet an end. And how will he do it? And if it's a direct response to his cowardice, I think that would be very fitting. My guess is that he'll be old school, eaten by a titan alive. I feel like we haven't gotten one of those deaths in a while. I feel like, again, as a fan of his, I feel like he is deserving in the story of meeting an end to a Titan. I, I don't necessarily think it'll play out this way, but I think it would be interesting if Aaron was the one to order his execution because he didn't approve of the actions Flock took. 
And of course, the only sighting of the 104th and of Aaron are just a single page. Which was so disappointing. I like the rock star memes that were going around about um, how they're all positioned like an emo indie rock band. <laughs> Call back to the uh, Volume 13 cover where it looks like they're about to drop a hit album. <laughs> <laughs> that panel of Aaron gazing out the window. Do you think he's looking on what's happening in the training ground or do you think he's in a different location at this point? Uh, well, the training ground was in Shiganshina and that's where Aaron said he was taking everybody. So I'm assuming he's looking down on what's happening at the training ground. That's my guess as well, yeah. I'm thinking they might be in the military barracks at the training ground. Yeah, I, what is he thinking? I get, that's the question. And I imagine Meta has been written about his half-lidded expression staring out onto the training ground. Um, I have no idea. There was a space on the bingo card this month called Aaron's Cold Dead Eyes. And so without even... Saying a thing or being in more than the panel or two of this chapter, he managed to cross off the bingo space. It's the only thing he did this chapter. <laughs> All right. So the chapter ended with a prequel, or what do we call it? A teaser about what's going to come next chapter. Hopefully. Baby Zeke playing baseball with who we had referred to as Glasses Coon. Is that the name that the fandom had given him? Uh, Mystery Man, I think, is the official Wikipedia term that had been used for him. But Glasses Coon is also very common. Okay, so now we know his name is, um, are we going to pronounce it Zaver? How are you all pronouncing it? I'm doing Zaver as well. I'm just using Zaver. Zaver? Okay. So we get our first glimpse at Zaver and uh, Kid Z. Do you guys um, have any kind of speculation about who this Zaver might be? There was a poll question about that, right? And I think I agree with the majority of the fandom here. The majority of the fandom, I think it was, oh yes, 84% think that he's the former Beast Titan. 28% 28% think he is asso- or was associated with Kruger. And another 51% think that he encouraged Zeke to rat on his parents. I think I checked all three of those. Yep, I, I checked all three of those as well. Okay, I am in the minority on this one. I am of the feeling that this man met a very tragic end, that this was somebody that brought joy to Zeke, that Zeke clung to after his parents were taken away from him, that this became someone very dear to him, and Marleyan cruelty ended his life in some dramatic and horrific fashion. If anything's going to tug at my heart, it would be Zeke losing somebody he truly cared about, somebody who truly cared about him, uh, having this one nice thing in his life ripped away from him because of, I mean, having to eat him would certainly be having him ripped away from him. If there's some very dark side story here to what happened to Zaver. For me, like, I've always kind of been suspicious about Zeke's motives for turning in his parents. Like, in chapter 107, he explains that as a seven-year-old, I was quick to realize that the search led by the Marleyan authorities was nearing the Restorationists, who were headed by my father. And that he thought that they were being too reckless and not being careful enough. And I always thought that that was really strange for a seven-year-old to think. And for those were really big conclusions for a seven-year-old to come up with, even if he is a very smart seven-year-old. So, I, like... Ever since we've seen this panel of Xaver playing catch with Zeke, I've just kind of imagined Xaver kind of like playing catch with Zeke or spending time with him and saying like, he's the one that maybe can put these thoughts into Zeke's head, maybe. Because they just didn't seem like organic thoughts for a kid to have. Yeah, I agree. Somebody manipulated Zeke. I know seven-year-olds. I have been around seven-year-olds. I have raised a seven-year-old. They, their go-to response is not, you know, let me turn in my parents and kill them. 
without getting into like psychology or life problems, whatever, I mean, kids want to please their parents and it takes a lot. It takes years before a child will turn on their parents. Especially to like point out things like recklessness or carelessness. Like a seven-year-old doesn't really have, especially it's things like a an underground restorationist movie. You know what I mean? Like it just seems really weird for him to have this deep insight that I think is really an adult's insight. I agree with you. He is parroting somebody else's insight. So then it's a question of who that who there who it is that he's parroting and i think it's this guy who was i think inserted into zeke's life at a very young age to be the trustworthy figure when it became apparent that his parents weren't those trustworthy figures to him you think like someone like kruger or somebody in the movement inserted this man into zeke's life yes i think that this man maybe wasn't a partner of kruger's but i do think he was affiliated with kruger because kruger we know was in the marleyan military and i mean he probably wasn't alone in that that it seems unlikely to me that he was a lone operator in that organization. And there was talk of, you know, other warriors being, you know, spies for the owl when he when Grisha was being interrogated. I've really hoped uh, that Kruger would be a big part of Zeke's backstory. It's been a popular fan theory. Uh, Riker, were you the, you're the one to make that uh, a big thing, right? Yeah, the, the Zeke Ogre conspiracy. <laughs> yep, I'm one of the people that fully buy into that. Well, maybe not uh, 100% now with some things with Kiyomi that have been going on, but definitely the Zeke-Kruger correlation. Yeah, there's definitely an update coming to that with new information that we've come across in the last year, but I'm still mostly on board with it too, but yeah, some of my opinions have changed. It'd be really interesting to see how next chapter affects that if it is a Zeke flashback. Whenever I've been crafting theories, I always stop when I get to Zeke's motive since it seems impossible to come up with something that I'm fully satisfied with. And so I just decide to hold off until we finally get to know. So I'm really hoping that's next chapter. And part of me thinks that Zeke is really just kind of a pawn, maybe an unknowing pawn in this whole big plot. Like he's, he's been in this since he was born, since before he was born. This, this may have been concocted long before then. Kruger was the one who sent Dina to Grisha that ended up giving us Zeke. So the whole thing yep. could be Kruger 4D paths chess. Kruger was also the person who told Grisha to make a family inside the walls as well. A theory of mine is that this isn't actually, well, it all stems from Kruger. It's his plan, but it's not Kruger's plan. This is all the Attack Titans plan. And it could even be Aaron reaching backwards through time if you believe in the whole time manipulation thing going on. Because, I mean, the whole Aaron kind of talking through Kruger back when we first met Aaron Kruger, I mean, it, in that context, it kind of starts to make a little bit more sense, possibly. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's still very gray. Well, hopefully next chapter, we'll settle this about who Xaver is, whether he's a family friend who died tragically or the previous Beast Titan inserted by the revolution to continue to manipulate Zeke's life. One thing I did really like about this Xaver thing that happened that I want to say is that the glasses being revealed to be his. I mean, it, it's not confirmed, I guess, exactly, but it's pretty obvious that it is. And... I think it also kind of proves that Zeke doesn't need the glasses, that he wears them as a sentimental reason. Yeah, it's the first sign of Zeke's emotional attachment to anyone. And the glasses, they've been Zeke's way of hiding his opinion this whole story. You know, he he shields himself with those glasses. Like a true anime villain. (laughs) Yes. So we'll find out in 114. So that wraps up our chapter 113 discussion. After the break, I'd like to spend some time getting to know our guests a little better. Also take a look at the SNK in the news and 
reveal Puppet's rather extraordinary talent. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us again. We wanted to start out this segment with a look at SNK in the news. And I think it's extraordinary this month because there was a rather huge announcement, and then there's been one that's notably missing. So the big announcement was that Isayama got married. Um, I was trying to remember which magazine cover we saw of him recently where he's changed his hair, he's changed his clothes, he's smiling. Uh, There was some fandom speculation that maybe things were looking up in his life. I'd seen someone even speculate that he had gotten married. Hard to imagine if that's going to impact the story, but it certainly was good news to see that he'd found somebody to partner with in his life. But the other piece of news that's noticeably missing, Puppet, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, so that's uh, Season 3, Part 2 news. In the past, we've had the first trailer, typically by now. And we know they started recording, which for Season 2 and Season 3, Part 1, when they started recording, it was a few days later we got the trailer. Uh, So they were mainly recording lines for the trailer first. And they started recording like two weeks ago, I think now. So it's very odd that a trailer hasn't dropped yet. Season 2 had two trailers. Season 3 Part 1 only had one. So I'm thinking we'll probably only get one trailer for Season 3 Part 2. And I'm hoping it comes out soon. So we're all on Season 3 Watch. Yeah, we are starting to get those hints of news, which are always exciting to see. Yeah, uh, Sawano just started recording uh, the soundtracks, I think, two or three days ago now. So that's ramping up as well. It seems like it has been an exceptionally quiet month. I think it has been quiet. Like, there's been a lot of stuff going on with other animes and other series, but not a whole lot of SNK news. Well, hopefully next podcast we'll be talking about the trailer. That would be great. So let's just move into uh, getting to know our guests a little bit better. I'd like to start with Reiku. I mean, I know about the Zevi memes, and uh, yes... (laughs) They are there, and they are in abundance. But you've been doing the character ranking polls. I don't. Uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about how long you've been doing them, and any what made you start those, and what you've learned from them. Actually, I started the polls around chapter ninety nine, which was you know Reiner had just started becoming very popular in the fandom. People were really warming up to him, and I was included in that group during Return to Shiganshina. I hated Reiner. I wanted him to die. I wanted him to suffer. And I was I was very betrayed by him and I was angry. So when his head got blown off, I was very happy. But then we got to know him better and Marley happened and I, somehow he became my favorite character and he became the favorite character of a lot of people. So I was like, well, wouldn't it have been cool if I had been doing, if there had been some sort of way to measure the increase in popularity over time? So I started doing these polls around chapter 99 where I would have everybody rank their favorite characters from top to bottom just to kind of see how the rankings look overall. Um, and then over time, I would run this poll again just to see what changed and if anybody's popularity increased or decreased, etc. So something that's been really cool to see, I mean, I missed the Reiner rise in popularity, unfortunately, but I am starting to see the Gabby rise happening, which is really cool. 
And it's also really nice to see like how what happens in a chapter makes a character more or less popular. Like for chapter 112, for example, Mikasa was one of the most popular characters. She almost made the top five, which is very unusual for her. Usually she's like number nine or 10. So it's really cool to see these points in time and the way that the character's popularity reacts to what's going on in the manga or even the anime. So the way Isayama has manipulated us emotionally. Yes, exactly. And yeah, it, it also, it's really nice to see how controversial certain characters are because just in chapter 112, Zeke had about 25% of people putting him in his top, in the top three and about the same number of people putting him in their bottom three. So that's a really interesting case because there aren't any other characters that are like that. Can you also segment these results by gender or by age? What, what sort of filters have you built in? Yeah, I've, uh, I've looked at it by age in the past, and that was actually not as illuminating just because like the age of people watching this series or reading this series, it varies quite a bit. And I didn't really find anything cool there. But with gender, it was actually really interesting because like Levi and Reiner are much more popular with ladies. But characters like Aaron and Zeke and now Flock are significantly more popular with males. I think Ymir is also one of those characters that definitely has a gender appeal. Yes, Amir is far more popular with women than with men. Specifically, people who like Reiner and Zeke do not like Amir. <laughs> so it's really interesting just to see how whether or not you like one character affects whether or not you dislike or hate another character. One of my favorite aspects of your polls is, are the bonus questions. Do you want to talk about those a bit? <laughs> I actually, I just started doing those um, just because I was, I was feeling like having a little bit of fun with this most recent poll. But um, I think my favorite bonus question in this one was, what Pokemon starter would you choose? And that, the idea was to kind of see, well, do people who like Eren also like Charmander because he's more destructive? Or, I mean, uh, it was just kind of like, just for fun. But what ended up happening was that Bulbasaur ended up having a, strongly, or a strong positive correlation with Armin and Mikasa and Levi. Squirtle ended up having a strong correlation with Birdle, which is adorable. Uh-huh, so. that's adorable. I saw <laughs> it, the art that was generated from that. Yes, that was fantastic. That made me very happy. Leah Sparks is the best. So if somebody wanted to um, see the polls, somebody that's not on Reddit, um, what's the best way to find those? Is it on your Tumblr blog? Um, I post them on Reddit, and I also post them on my Tumblr, yes. Okay. So we'll link to those in the description, in the podcast description, if you have a special tag for those that we can include. Okay. And moving to you, Puppet, you've been in the fandom a long time. You've had a lot of contributions, but most recently you've been publishing the chapter bingo. And I don't know exactly how long you've been doing that. Maybe tell us a little about that process. I know it's something that's hugely popular. Yeah. So it was originally created by Mega Masigno uh, on Reddit. And uh, he ended up handing it off to me when he started pursuing other things. And yeah, it was a great creation by him. I always really enjoyed them. So I'm really happy to have been able to take charge of it now. And when uh, I ended up being in charge of it, I thought that it would be really hard to come up with the spaces each month on my own. And so I decided to make it a community thing where people can suggest spaces for the bingo card. And then I'll compile them onto the card with images and then I'll release it, and we can see how many spaces happen. And last month, we actually got our first bingo since I took over. This month, we were close. We were one space off in, I think, four places. But it's really rare to get a bingo, but it's always fun in the community when we do. Uh, some examples of spaces, for those who haven't seen the card before, as I mentioned earlier, Aaron's Cold Dead Eyes. There's 
shenanigans in Shiganshina, 200 IQ celestial brain Armin, <laughs> ape escape, stuff like that. That's kind of meme but could happen in a chapter. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. I love that you've involved the community in that because I know for me, like with the with the chapter poll, it's always better when we get the community involved and um, bringing in people's responses and their write-ins and even just bringing on more people to help us. I, I know um, we've Reku's joined the team and I've asked you for your help several times in the past, Puppet. So yeah, bring in that community because our community, say what you will about them, they are hilarious. You know, when we all put our heads together, we come up with some really good stuff. Indeed. So the other thing that I learned about you, and I, um, I, I think I mentioned is at the outset we met on the Discord, the a cast of Titans Discord, is that you have this like this weird trivia brain. Like you have every there are one hundred and thirteen chapters in this manga, and you have all those chapter titles memorized. If I toss a number between one and one hundred and thirteen at you, you can instantly tell me the chapter's title. Is that correct? For most of them instantly. Some of them may take a few seconds. A few seconds. All right. All right. What about chapter 83? Depends on the translation. It's either Falling Axe or Cleaver. That's correct. Okay. What about, um, I struggle in the 60s. What about 64? A welcome party. All right. What about, (laughs) let's see. I'm trying to find one that I don't remember. Uh, 28. Oof, 28. Uh, I think that's Crushing Blow. Close. That's 29. Okay. Is this one Erwin uh, Smith? Oh, that's 27. Dang it. I'm narrowing in on it. <laughs> is it Choices and Consequences? That's correct. Nice. Jeez. That's actually impressive that you got 27 is, and 29. Though. I cannot. Okay. Wow. Um, what about 107? Uh, that's Visitors. 100. Declaration of War. 14. Oof, 14. Uh, that one's Primitive Desires. Is he right? I'm not checking. Yes. Yes, he is. I'm looking. <laughs> okay. All right. What about 36? That's I'm home. 31? 31 would be, uh, is it smile slash grin? Yes. Okay. So how does it affect you when we have a fan translation um, that's kind of an established, like this month, savagery, violence, which way, will, how will you remember? Or will you remember both? This one I'll probably call violence. The fan translation doesn't mess me up as much since that. Um, I'm like, okay, it's up in the air and my mind ends up deciding on one. What messes me up the worst is when the volumes choose something that's completely wrong. Like everyone refers to 83 typically as falling axe and the volume just randomly has it as cleaver. But the worst offender was volume 26, which came out last month. It randomly changes the volunteers to brave volunteers, which I don't think the word brave is in the original Japanese, but they just kind of tossed it in. Oh, wow, you're right. I didn't even realize that. Well, I've been teasing that if there was ever going to be an SNK trivia competition that I would want you on my team because that is absolutely incredible, Puppet. I have no idea how you do that. Is this is this other aspects of your life as well, or is it just Attack on Titan where you have this strange ability? Uh, I tend to remember fiction pretty well overall, but Attack on Titan takes the kick by far. So when you when you can't sleep at night, you just lay awake going through chapter titles? I have done that once or twice. Instead of counting sheep, I can't second Titan titles. <laughs> there was one time I was walking into school and it was really cold outside. And so to distract myself from the rigid cold, I went through every chapter. And 112 was the most recent one at that time. Well, I'm impressed. 
All right. So Puppet has established himself as the Shingeki no Kyojin trivia master. (laughs) So we thought it might be fun to put together a little friendly competition between two of the podcasters, Puppet and Montaku, to see who can out-trivia the other. Puppet, you're going down. Probably, to be honest. No, I doubt it. So I'm going to ask each of you guys a question, one at a time. Who wants to go first? Uh, You can. It's your podcast. Okay. What's the correct arm for a Marley armband? Oh... Um, this is hard for me because like, I always have to like mentally picture what left and right looks like. And then you have to wonder if the character you're picturing is wearing the armband on the correct arm. And <laughs> Exactly. I'm picturing um, Xaver throwing the ball. I think he's throwing it with his left arm and it's on his left arm. So final answer, left. That's correct. Ding, ding, ding. Yay. <laughs> All right. Puppet's turn. What new addition can be seen in Shiganshina in chapter 113? The crater, uh, which I'm not sure if it's a lake or not. It's like the colossal titan crater thing. And crater was the answer I was looking for. So you got it. I actually didn't observe that until um, I was writing these questions and trying to think of stuff. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's the crater from Bert. Yeah, it's a cool detail from where Bert exploded. Mom, your turn again. You guys are tied. Of the nine Survey Corps members to survive Shiganshina, which have we not seen use Thunder Spears? Oh, let's see. Of the nine, use them or have them? Use them. So Sasha, Connie, Jean, and Mikasa were all involved with the attack on Armored Titan. That's one, two, three. Oh, nine. Um, Flock, duh. Wait, does he count? I'll let you keep going. Uh, yeah, okay. I'll just, I'll go with Flock. Hey, do I get a steal? Yes. Well, the John, Sasha, Connie, Mikasa were the main group attacking with the Thunder Spears, and then Hanji came in and clutched uh, with one. So I think it's, and Levi, we just saw you some, so I think it's Flock, Aaron, and Armin. That's correct. So you just stole a point from Mom, and now it's Puppet's turn for question number four. Ugh. How many children did Rod Reese have that we know of? Okay, I thought you were going to ask the Bross children, and I was like, oof, this one on my table. That would be a better question. <laughs> the, the Rod's, children are, Rod's children are named, so I can try and go through a list. The other one I would just have to guess from pictures, so let me think. There's. Obviously, we're not allowing anybody to look things up, so. Puppet, are you actually going to name all of Rod Reese's children? I, I know there's one called. There's one called Dirk Lind. That's the only one whose name I can remember, but I remember him going through like how they died, and so I'm going to try and do right? that. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Let's hear because I, I, I think I know two of them. Wait, how many children does he have or how many children does he have that were killed? How many children does he have that we know of? Oh, that we know of. Okay, I almost forgot Frida and Historia. I was just, just going to count the ones that died in the cave. Would have been a few off. Uh, so there's... I, I'm going to go seven. Mom? <laughs> I was hoping you would go with six because I know it's either five or six. Um, let's see, there's like Florin, Frida... Durkin, and then there was the little one, Thor. Historia, was there another, though? I'm thinking of the picture of him, like, standing there. I'm going to go with um, five in total, including Historia, but it might be six. It's six. Ah. There's Frida, Erklin, Dirk, Florian, <laughs> Abel, and Historia. Apple, that's the one. Okay. 
Abel was actually the only one that I did remember that wasn't Free Dyer Historia because he shares the name with Glasses Coon. Or she, I think Abel's a girl in this case, isn't she? Oh. It's your turn again, Mom. Name the four satellite cities of Walrose. Okay, Walrose. Stohess would be one, right? Is that what I'd say? Maria's the outside wall. Yep, Maria's the outside wall. Rose. Rose is next. Cena has no satellites, or does it? It does. Oh. They all have satellites. All right. I know Stohess is the southernmost one. Orvid is the northernmost one. No. Yes. 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 Okay. Stohess, Orvid. Now the two on the east and the west are... Urquil? No pressure, by the way, because I don't know either. Orvid is the only one I was confident in. Yeah, Orvid and Stohes are then south and north. And um, Utopia? No. Okay, I give up. Help. Okay, so, Puppet, do you want to try to steal? Uh, I'll try, but I think I'll be wrong. I'll go Stohes, Orvid. I don't know. I give up. Well, Armin said that Annie was being held in Utopia. Utopia, but is that Matris? I think that's in Sina. Okay. And she was captured in Stohes, so we're talking about a lot of districts here. Yeah. All right, let's enlighten us. All right, so actually, Orvid and Stohes are both Walsina districts. Really? Yep. Hmm. They are on the inner wall. Ah. The Walrose districts are Utopia, Trost, Krolvra, I don't know how to say that one. And Karenus. I feel bad for forgetting trust. Okay, so I got Utopia, right? So yeah, I got, got one. one tiny. Yes. So that's okay. <laughs> the next one's for Puppet. In what year did Isayama draw his one shot that would become Attack on Titan? Ooh, I've read this one shot. It's really bad. I'm glad here he did it. <laughs> uh, hmm. Mom probably knows this one. I'm not sure. This was a Luna question, so. Ooh. Any guesses? Let me do some quick math. One momentum. Would this be the year he won the competition with it? I think that would be the year he drew it, isn't it? I don't think there was any difference in time. Okay. Uh, there's a range of three years. I think it's in. I'm going to go 2007. Mom? Uh, that was my guess, too. So that means it's one up or one down. I'm going to go with... Um... He was 19 when he wrote it, so I'm going to go with uh, 2006. Ding! You stole a point! Okay. And now it's Mom's turn, and you each have two points. In what situation did we first see Thunder Spears used? In what situation? Are we talking about the flashback? Hanji's flashback where she exploded a tree? Is that the first time we see them used? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I'm going to say the first time we see them used is in the flashback exploding the tree. You are correct. I liked that question. That is a good question. I like this next one, too, for you, Puppet. Hopefully I like it, too. Paradise suffered eight casualties in the attack on Liberio. All of these deaths were shown to the reader. Who had the second highest number of kills on the Marley side? Ooh, second highest number of kills. So, Gabby killed two. How many deaths were there? Eight, you said? Yep. 
Okay, and Gabby killed two. I don't remember Porco killing one. Uh, Zeke and then the Gunners on Peak, I think, killed people. I don't remember exactly how many. Hmm. Oh, there were, when there were two people like racing up on Zeke and John told them to stop and they just kept going, Peak uh, had both of them shot. But I think that would count as the gunners. I don't think we saw which gunners. For the sake of clarity, I'm saying all the gunners count as Peak. Okay. Because we can't really assign the kills to an individual person. Okay. Then I think Peak would be the most kills. So you said you wanted the second most. I'm going to go Gabby. That's correct. And I liked your thought process. That was awesome. I typeset a lot of those action chapters, so they're ingrained. All right, Mom. In No Regrets, how did Levi meet Isabel Magnolia? Is it really fair to pull in only pseudo-canon material such as No Regrets in this debate? Okay, let's see. Are we talking... I, I, own, I own both volumes. I own the anime, which I don't know I've even opened it. I, I, I think it's like... How did he meet her? Yep. How did he first meet her? I'm just going to guess because I honestly have no idea. I think she was just some little street urchin. And uh, was there something with a bird, a bird that needed to be fixed? Or maybe I'm confusing those things. But Puppet, do you know this one? When you first asked the question, I was like, hey, no way. But then, well, mom was answering. I think I thought of it. Isn't she like being chased by some guys and she wanders into him and the other guy's house, and then they end up protecting her there? Yep, you're correct. He rescued her from pursuers. Well, do we know that he didn't know her before that? She was a complete stranger at that point? I'm pretty sure it seems that way. I haven't watched it in a while. I think all my fan fiction reading has, like, also influenced this, because they're (laughs) always in a gang, you know? Yep. (laughs) All right, so now it's Puppet's turn, right? Mom has three points and Puppet has four. All right, Puppet, can you name the real-life inspiration for the Attack Titan and the Armored Titan designs? The Armored Titan is Brock Lesnar. The Attack Titan, I didn't know, had a real-world design influence. So this one I probably won't get. Let me think for a moment. I just noticed if I didn't know both of them, I shouldn't have answered the first half because now Mom can still have it. (laughs) The Attack Titan has an inspiration for design. I didn't know this either. Puppet, what is wrong with us? Thank Luna for this question, too. <laughs> Luna, why are you like this? <laughs> I thought, actually, these would be really easy for you, Mom, because I thought maybe that you had the same frame of reference for these. No, so. clearly Luna is, no, clearly she, she's, she, you know what? This is her being evil coming up with these, like, impossible. Based off the ears, I'm just going to go Lord Elrond from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Mom, do you have an opinion on this one? I would say the Attack Titan is based on some kid in high school who beat him up that uh, he wants to get back at. Well, the answer is that it's Yushin Okami, who is a UFC fighter. So both of the Armor Titan and the Attack Titan were based off of people with, in either the WWE or in UFC. Did I get the armor right? Yes, you did. Okay, nice. Do I get half points? Like- <laughs> yeah, you get all the points. I think Luna gets all the points. Yeah, she gets a point for having the unanswerable question. <laughs> this one is for Mom. What member of Squad Levi was the first to land a kill in the Reese Crystal Cave? Hmm. 
the first things that happened, Sasha blew up the, um, it created smoke screen. Hmm. I'm going to go with Gene, even though it's probably wrong. I honestly don't remember, but his was the one that stands out most in my mind because, you know, the whole getting his hands dirty situation. You're actually correct. Oh. Yep. It was Gene. So now we have one last question. And what's the score? It's actually tied right now, four to four. Ooh. This question, I think I want to do differently. I'm going to ask it to both of you at the same time. And I want to see who comes to the answer the fastest or gets closest. You make your guess puppet. And then if you guess wrong, then mom can guess and back and forth. How many soldiers were in the platoon that Gabby saved by going in alone in chapter 91? Ooh. Are we talking about the soldiers that were in the, uh, is that number specified or do we have to think back and count bodies? It's specified, I believe. Is it a thousand? Mom can make her guess now. I have. That's specified in chapter, puppet, what chapter is that specified in? 91? It'd probably be 91. I can see it might be mentioned on the train in 93, but I think it's just 91. 91. Yeah, because she goes like, Commander McGath, let me do my plan. Who's more important, one cute little me or blank number of soldiers in your platoon? Yep, I'm pretty sure that's how it went down. Okay, you know what? Puppet, Puppet gets credit for this because I would not have even remembered that line of dialogue. Um, yeah, I have no idea. I'll say 1,100 because it was probably a round number. It's 800. I felt like there was an 8 in it. I want to say like, a, I want to say like 180, but I was like, I know it's higher than that. So Puppet wins, but just barely. <laughs> Puppet actually wins more significantly because I guessed on all of mine and he actually had a basis for his. That's very true. So we have a champion. Congratulations, Puppet. You are a worthy opponent. You have bragging rights. That's about it. <laughs> and we will someday have like an actual, like, I, I really want to go up against the uh, cast on Titan guys. And you are always on my team, no matter what. Yeah, I want Puppet on my trivia team, always. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to teaming up with you instead of combating you. Clearly, Luna needs to be the question master. Or maybe not. Maybe she needs to be completely disqualified from ever coming up with another <laughs> question. Yeah, nobody will get any points if Luna does all the questions. <laughs> uh, was there anything else you guys wanted to talk about, or should we end it? I think that's it. Okay. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Luna will be back next month for our Chapter 114 discussion. As always, we welcome your comments and questions, and we truly appreciate your support. I'd like to thank Puppet and Reiku for helping me this month. You guys were both fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. I had a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for asking me on. It was a good time. You guys were great guests, and you made this very easy not having Luna here. So thank you for offering your hearts and ears, and we'll see you next month. short break so i can join for a little bit for like 10 minutes do you want to talk or do you want to just listen uh, i think it's better if i listen